0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Max Lucado once said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. And if our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness... God sent us a Savior. You see, the reason why we do what we do here at First Baptist Church, the reason why we spend so many hours and months pouring into VBS and all the the work and aggravation that it entails, the reason why we feed the hungry in the community, the reason why we gather here on Sunday mornings to to sing together and to worship together, the reason why we work so hard to bear one another's burdens and, and lift each other up and be there for one another is because we understand something very important. And what that is, is we all need to be rescued. You see, our greatest need is to be saved. Our greatest need isn't money, though sometimes it feels like it is. Our greatest need isn't companionship, though we at times can feel really lonely and think it is. Our greatest need isn't recognition, though many of us work very hard to get that. Our greatest need isn't even food or water or shelter, though those are really great needs. Our greatest need is that, that we have is we need a rescuer, a savior. We need to be saved. And that was what we talked about at BBS with your, with your kids. Um, but it's a message that we adults also need to hear. And even those of us who've heard it many times, we need to hear it again. We need to be rescued. And that's why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. He came to save. He came to rescue. And so this morning, I just want to take a little bit of your time. And I just want to tell you about how Jesus rescues. And so if we can come right now and and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning excited to see what these kids have learned, but we also come this morning to hear your voice. We come to listen to your word, and so we ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your instruction, and that you'd open our eyes to see the truth, and you'd help us to see that our greatest need is to be rescued by your son, and help us to see the beauty of his love, of his life and his sacrifice for us, and help us to trust in him today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So if you have a Bible with you, um, or a Bible app on your mobile device, or you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you there in the, in the pew, please turn with me to the book of First Timothy. First um, Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy is actually near the end of the New Testament. It is after the book of Thessalonians. Um, it's actually a little short verse that we're going to read today. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 15, the word of the Lord reads, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see, the thing is, is the word of God tells us very clearly that Jesus came for a specific purpose. He didn't come simply to give us an example, though many people believe that's what he came for, was to be an example of, of how to be a human. He didn't simply come for that. And he didn't come to, to simply to teach us how to love each other, though we have a lot to learn from Jesus about that. And we could certainly do well to, to emulate that. But that's not the reason why he came. And he didn't come to earth so that we could be rich and have all of our, our wants In desires fulfilled, as some preachers would say, that that he's there to prosper us. The Bible tells us the reason why Jesus came is he came to save. He came to rescue. He came to seek and save the lost. In fact, the very first Bible story we talked about with your kids was, was actually three parables. It was the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son. And each of these stories really has the same central message, that Jesus came to save and rescue the lost. He came to save sinners, and when, when one is saved, there is rejoicing in heaven. Now, this morning, again, I don't want to take a lot of your time. I know that you were here to see them, but I would just like to share with you five ways that Jesus rescues us, and the first way that Jesus rescues us is he rescues us from loneliness. I think if there's an experience that's uniquely human, it's, it's the sensation of deep, loneliness that we feel and yes animals can feel lonely but they do not have the capacity of human loneliness the deep dark sense of loneliness even that you feel in the presence of other people even when you're in a room filled with people that you care about and you love you can still feel deep dark loneliness and i think that most of us at some point experience experience that even in a world with all the technology and all the ways that we can communicate with one another and all of the social media you know, apps that we have and all the ways that we can connect, we can still feel, even with the people we love and that we want to be around the most, still feel a deep sense of loneliness. And the, and the reason for that, or at least part of the reason for that, is because we were actually built for a relationship that no one on earth can fill for us. We're built for a relationship that no human being can satisfy for us. The author of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And he once wrote, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is a such thing as food. Ducklings Ducklings want to swim. Well, there is such thing as water. Man feels sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. He says, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in the world can satisfy, then most prob- the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. You see, we were created for a very real, personal, intimate relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us that we were created in God's own image. We were created to be a reflection of him. And God, by his very nature, is a relational God. In fact, in the experience of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is this lifelong, eternity-long relationship. God is about relationships, right? He is a relationship. And he created us in his image, and he created us for relationships. We were created for relationships with other people, but most importantly, we were created to have a relationship with him. But that relationship that we were built for has been severed because of sin. We've been separated from God because of the sin in our lives. And so it's no wonder that we experience this deep, dark loneliness, this longing within us. It it points us to to the fact that there is is a a reality out there, that there's something missing. If you can actually look inside yourself, you know that this is true. You instinctively know that you were built for something more. You know somewhere that there's something missing. And the relationship with other people, it might cover it up temporarily, but it won't cover it up forever. Because you will always come to that moment when sooner or later you will feel that no one fully understands you. That that no one really fully gets you. No one fully satisfies the longing and desire, and loneliness in your heart. But the good news is, for those who put their trust in Christ, they can be restored in that relationship. And they experience his life-giving presence here and now. This isn't just some pie in the sky, hey, way off in the future thing. This is a very real experience today. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that we can be reconciled back to God through Christ. Paul tells us, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled, to God by the death of his son, and much more now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, Jesus rescues us from loneliness, but not only that he helps us to no longer be God's enemies, but more importantly, he reconciles us in a relationship. And, and we need to understand what reconciliation means. You see, reconciliation isn't where God says, Okay, I've forgiven you, now stay over there and leave me alone, okay? That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is when you're drawn back into a close, personal, intimate, intimate relationship. We were enemies, and now we are, we were, we're family. We have been, been given the right, as it says in the Word of God, to be called children of God. We've been adopted into His family, been reconciled fully. If you have ever had a family in this situation where there's been difficulty, you know what. what forgiveness is but you also know what reconciliation looks like when when people are actually close together that's what god promises and because of that god further promises to never leave us or forsake us that, that no matter where we go he's always with us and that he will be with us to the very end and because of that right that we can always count on His presence with us. You see, the Bible tells us that when we trust in Christ, God actually comes to live inside of us, which means we are always in His presence. We always have access to Him. Jesus rescues us from loneliness, but He also rescues us from our worry. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there's something wrong with the world. I, I mean, there's a reason why when you got here, you locked your car in a church parking lot, right? That last night when you went to bed, before you went to bed, you locked the doors and you set the alarm. There's a reason why this generation is called the helicopter generation because there's parents hovering over their kids every little move to watch over them and protect them because of all of the things out there that's there to harm them, We live in a broken world filled full of broken people, right? And people do awful things to each other all the time. The sin that that we've experienced not only separates us from God, but it's infected everyone. And we all know that anyone really is capable of horrific acts. But not just that, even more than that. Then there's natural evil like earthquakes, cancer, car accidents, tsunamis, sports injuries. It seems like that life's a terminal disease and that life's trying to kill you. And then there's other things like the loss of work. Or, how about the unexpected expenses of doctor bills? Or, economic collapses? Or, man, I hope that roof will last a little bit longer so I can save some money to get it patched. Or, I hope that cooler motor lasts a little bit longer till payday. It seems like there is a million things for us to worry about. We worry about our lives, we worry about our money, we worry about our children, we worry about our community, we worry about our country. If loneliness is a unique experience to humanity, so is worry. We worry about everything. But Jesus can rescue us from our worry because he is God. He is God and he is sovereign and in control. As Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, without Christ, there's nothing but worry. Because what you try to do is end up controlling the things that that you have no control over. Which is really what worry is it's trying to control the uncontrollable. But the truth is, whether you want to believe it or not or admit it or not, you're not in control. You're not in control of the economy. You don't control the weather. You don't control other people. Most of the time we don't even control ourselves. So worry is trying to control all the things that you cannot control. And without Christ, it's all you have. It's all you have to look forward to. But with Christ, you still don't have the control that you want. But you have a relationship with the one who is in control of all things. And you can trust him to make things right. The Bible's promised. My, one of my favorite promises that's carried me through many things is God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. You see, not everything in life that we experience is good, but God can take all things, the bad and the good, and the worst of our circumstances and work them out for our good and his glory. We may not be able to control the things that we can't control, but we certainly can have a relationship with the one who is actually in control and who works things out. Jesus rescues us from worry, and because of that, we can trust in him. Jesus also wor- rescues us from struggle. Because let's face it, life is hard, Providing for your family is hard. Raising children is the very definition of hard. In fact, I think if you looked up hard in the dictionary, you might see a bunch of kids, maybe my kids, right? Then you throw in the fact that many of us are having to take care of our aging parents. And then you have to protect your children from all these dark influences that didn't exist when we grew up, like online pornography. And then many of us will still have to battle through depression and anxiety, and many more will have to push through disabilities and chronic pain. And then there's the relationships conflicts. We struggle in our relationships with our neighbors and with our community members. We struggle with with our own families. In fact, some of you might even have difficult relationships with some of your parents. Some of you might even have difficult relationships with your siblings or even your own children. I know what that's like. We have struggles in every part of our lives, and one of the most common expressions on social media that you'll see is somebody talking about how hard life is, and then the, the phrase is, and the struggle is real, right? Hashtag the struggle is real. You see that over and over again. You know why people relate to that, to that phrase? Because it is real. The struggle is real. We all struggle. We struggle with our health, we struggle with, with sin, we struggle with our relationships, we struggle with money, we struggle with sobriety. And again, without Christ, that's all you have. Life is filled full of struggle that ultimately is meaningless at the end. But with Christ, we have someone who won't ever leave us and who works all things out for our good, even when we can't see it in the moment. And we have someone who enables us to overcome our struggle. Again, the Apostle Paul reminds us, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is a favorite verse of athletes because they think that applies to them. This has nothing to do with your athletics. You know, this has nothing to do with physical strength. This, has, this talks about the strength that you need to get through because life is hard. Paul is talking about poverty. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about divorce. He's talking about like when everybody is standing against you and you feel like you're not gonna make it, right? He's talking about real strength to help with real struggles. Without Christ... There is only struggle. But with Christ, you have a direct connection to the God who can fix it and help you. You have a personal relationship with you. And and here's here's what you need to understand. He hears your prayers. If you have a relationship with Christ, God, the God of the universe, hears your prayers. And he strengthens your heart. And he gives you the courage to carry on. Through Christ, you have a relationship to God. God. The God who understands. Because Jesus came to the earth to walk in your shoes. And that's the part I think we miss oftentimes. He came here to live as a human. He came to live the life that you couldn't live. And he struggled just like we do. He suffered like we do. In fact, one of my favorite verses, I got lots of favorite ones, but this one here really like pierces my heart. It's the story where, where Jesus goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he does it for a purpose. He knows that God's going to be glorified, but he sees his friends who are in grief. And the the Bible says that he wept. And that word in Greek means that it was to hyperventilate, that Jesus was weeping, like hyperventilating over the grief of his friends. Jesus came here to understand what you're going through and to walk in your shoes. He came to suffer alongside of you. That's why Jesus encourages us and tells us I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He overcame the world for us, to rescue us. And so Jesus rescues us from the struggles of of our life, but he also rescues us from sin. And of all the things that he's done for us, this is the most important one. This is actually why he came. He came to save us from our sin. Paul tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the act of sinning, Christ died for us. You see, this is the answer to the big question. What's the point? Why did Jesus come? Why do I need to trust in him? He came to die for our sins because we are sinners. And we know it, right? Right? Down deep, we all know what we're capable of. And we also know that that separates us from God and that sin destroys relationships and it brings all manner of evil and pain and suffering and death to our world. You suffer through the loneliness that you suffer because of sin. You suffer from from the struggles that you struggle with because of sin. You worry because of the effects of sin. Every problem you ever face, every hurt that you will ever feel, every negative consequence you ever experience is a result of sin. And worse than that, all of those things point to even a worse and more devastating reality. Because the truth is, one day you're going to step off an eternity like everybody else in history before you. And I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how good your genetics are. I don't care how well you take care of yourself. In sight of 50 years, probably most everyone of us in this room will be gone. Inside of 80, I'm sure 100% of us will be gone. We will all die. We will all step off into eternity. And no matter what we suffer here, no matter what we've enjoyed here, no matter what we've accomplished here, we will stand before a completely holy and righteous God. And the Bible says that, we, that it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And at that time, there's really only one thing that's going to matter. One thing. It's not going to matter about your career and how great you did your job. It's not going to matter about your volunteer service and all the people that you helped. It's not going to matter about how how, how great your family was. It's not going to matter about how much money you made. It's not going to matter about whether or not you were oppressed in this world. It's not going to matter about your education and how smart you are. The only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you have Christ. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And if you don't have Christ, then the separation from God that you experience here just only gets worse because you will be separated from him for eternity, which means the loneliness that you feel, you will learn what true loneliness is, an endless, hopeless loneliness. And you will know true worry, never-ending spirals of worry. And you'll know true struggle, the perpetual, pointless, fruitless struggle in an absolute darkness of eternity without the presence of God himself. Jesus himself calls that, his own words, he calls that hell. If you don't have Christ, then that's what awaits you. If you don't have Christ, you don't go to a better place. And I think this is probably one of the toughest things as a pastor for me, is that I do a lot of funerals for people. And, and the thing is, is like, you don't have to be a member of the church for me to do your funeral because. That's one way that I try to help people because it's a tough thing to find somebody that will do that for you. But there are a lot of people that I've done funerals for whose, whose, whose family members were not believers. And then I struggle and I sit and I listen to them. My heart breaks for them as I hear them say things, you know, trying to console each other and try to say, you know, at least he's in a better place. At least she's in a better place. And I need you to hear me on this. If they don't have Christ, they didn't end up in a better place. And that's just the truth. Right? That's the truth. If they don't have Christ, they don't, they're not in a better place. And people will say, well, you're, you know, you're really intolerant and, and because Jesus was really loving. And yes, he was so loving and he was so compassionate and he welcomed everyone to come to him. Right? And he hung out with the sinners and he rebuked all the religious people. And he was very, very clear in his words, though. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And even more firmly, Jesus even hits the religious people who think that they're going to earn their way into heaven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we not do mighty works in your name? Didn't we just do all these great things, you know, these religious works for you, Jesus? And he's, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. For those who do not have Christ, life does not get better. It gets worse. But for those who do have Christ, those who do trust in him, when they stand before God, their sins are forgiven. Their sins are gone. And Christ's righteousness, his righteous life that he lived, is credited to them as if they lived it themselves. Those who Christ, who have Christ, they're clothed in his righteous robes, it says. That's why we're told, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who believe no longer are separated from God. They live in a life-giving relationship with him again. And they—and notice what it says. They have something. They were given something. They have something they didn't have before. They have eternal life, a life in the presence of God for eternity, where there is no more loneliness, where there is no more worry, where there is no more struggle or sin. And then there is no more guilt East either. As the Bible tells us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned at all. We can live a life without having to carry around the guilt of of our past failures, haunting us for the rest of our lives because we've been rescued from that. Jesus rescues us from our sin, but it gets better than that because Jesus rescues us in three specific ways. He rescues us from the penalty of sin, Christ paid the price for your sin on the cross. You had a debt that you owed. You couldn't pay it. Christ paid it. You had a punishment that you deserved that you couldn't bear and Jesus bore it for you. Through Christ's sacrifice, he rescues us from the penalty of sin. But he also rescues us from the presence of sin because Jesus has promised to come back for us and to take us home someday. He's promised Right, That where he is, we will also be. Those who have died and gone before us are in the presence of Christ. And, and when we get there, we're told that there, there won't be any more tears. In fact, he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We will be rescued from the presence and the consequences of sin forever. And then Jesus says, rescues us from the power of sin. This is the hope that we have for this life because until we go home, right, until we go home to be with Christ, we will still live in a broken world filled full of broken people and we will still experience temptation and we will still experience failure and brothers and sisters, you will still stumble and you will still fall. But we're promised that we're not alone, that God is with us. When you put your faith in Christ, God comes to live inside of you. We're told in the Bible that, that, that our bodies are the Holy Spirit, the, the the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, whom we have from God, which means God is there strengthening us all the time. He is there changing us slowly, little by little, progressively cleaning us from the inside out, giving us the power progressively to overcome the sin that haunts us. When we trust in Christ. Your heart and your mind begin to change. And the sin that you once loved, you begin to hate. And the God that you once despised, you begin to love with all your heart. And your struggle with with sin and temptation and the struggle that, that you used to have and the addictions that you used to hold on to, God will progressively set you free by his power. You see, Jesus rescues us completely from sin, from its penalty, its power, and one day its presence And Jesus rescues us also from our weakness. Paul tells us that God said to him, him, Paul was suffering with an infirmity, and Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. When you trust in Christ, He not only deals with your greatest problem, which is your sin problem, and he not only helps you to overcome loneliness and worry and struggles of your life, but he also gives you the grace to help you in your weakness. Because we all know what it's like to be weak. We all know what it's like to be broken. We have all at some point been frail. We have all knows what it's like to not have the strength to carry on, but we are promised by God that he will take care of our weakness and he will show his strength through us. 14, about 14 years ago, I was in uh, one of the worst crises of my entire life. I was facing financial ruin. My wife and I, Kim, um, we had moved from a really nice part of Bakersfield to a, let's say, not so nice part of Bakersfield. We barely had enough food money um, for, to feed our four kids and i was like stressed to the max cuz i was just trying everything i could to stay afloat and, and to keep my kids fed and to keep a roof over their heads and you know it was just it was a grind it was it was a long grind and then i came home one day and kim says to me i'm pregnant and in that moment i realized i was not strong enough to that point i really believed in myself i thought you know what there's nothing that that, that comes my way that i can't conquer there's nothing in the world that i can't overcome I believed that I always had enough strength to to overcome, but I came face to face with the fact that I could not overcome this obstacle. When she told me she was pregnant, reality came crashing down on me. And I knew in that moment I was not strong enough. And to make it worse, I was a vile, mean-spirited, hateful atheist, which means I had... I didn't believe in God, and I thought everybody that did was stupid. Which means also I had no hope. Because no one was there to rescue me from my loneliness. No one was there to rescue me from the worry that consumed me and the incessant thoughts that circled around my mind and the reminders over and over again that I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. No one was there to rescue me when, when, I, when I struggled to just get out of bed, to go to work again and again and again to take care of my family. I had no hope of rescue at all, it seemed. And so I told my wife, we can't do this. We cannot keep this child. I couldn't see hope for the future with one more mouth to feed. And so I convinced her to schedule an appointment with the abortion clinic, and she did. She called and set up the appointment that day. But the day before the appointment, I had a long drive from, from Bakersfield to Fresno for work. And during that drive, I was doing everything I could do not to think about the decision that we made and, and not to think about how hopeless I felt. You ever been there where you just, you don't want to think at all. You just want to get through the day. You just want to just keep your head down and just press forward and get through. That's, that's where I was. And so just outside of Visalia on the 99 freeway, there was a billboard that I'd seen many times before, but I never paid attention to. But it read, it's a child and not a choice. And man, that hit me like right here. And, and something in my conscience woke up. <laughs> and, and, and the consequences of the decision that I was about to make was really, really beginning to weigh on me. And I remember, like, I just turned the radio up as loud as I could go, right? I just wanted to fill the, the, the cabin with noise because I could not think about this. I did not want my mind to, to, to go there. The crisis that I was facing was so overwhelming. I didn't want to think about it. Have you ever been there where you just, the, 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 the things that face you are so tough. You just don't, you just want to be left alone. You don't want to even think. I would have given anything to have a moment's Peace. But there I was trying to desperately quiet my mind, trying to be, not become overwhelmed by the hopeless feelings that I was having, trying to not allow the grief and the guilt that I was feeling to sweep over me like this rogue wave. And then I felt it. There in that moment, I became aware of the reason why my conscience was screaming at me is because there, there is a God And I desperately in that moment needed him. And I was about to sin against him by murdering my own unborn child. And I became keenly aware that he was real and that I needed him to rescue me. So when I got to my destination, I called Kim. And I said, you know, we can't can't do this. I can't explain why. I just know that God's going to take care of us. And my expectation was, God, what are you talking about? You don't even believe in God. But what she said to me was, I know. God spoke to me too. While at the very same time I'm wrestling with this horrific decision, Kim was doing the same. So we changed our minds. We canceled the appointment. And soon after that, we went to a Bible study and, then we, and I heard the gospel. And I say when I heard the gospel, I've, I've heard people preach the gospel to me, okay? But this time I heard the gospel and I responded in faith and I believed it and we were saved. And we have followed God ever since that time. And every day I wake up and I look in the, the blue eyes of that boy And he smiles and he reminds me that Christ rescued me in my weakness. When I was at my weakest, Christ showed himself strong. And on that day, he saved my son's life, but he also saved my soul. Jesus rescued me from my loneliness and my worry and struggle and sin and weakness in my life has never been the same. If you want a validation of that, just ask my wife the kind of person I used to be. I now have hope. In the very darkest moments, I have hope. And I have peace when everything around me seems chaotic and it's all falling apart, I have peace. And I have comfort when everything else is stacked against me. Because I know, I know I have a real relationship with the creator of the universe. And he loves me. And he's promised to always be with me. And he's promised to see me safely home. That's the God that I know. That's the God that I and the rest of our team shared with your children here at BBS. And that is the God that you can have a relationship with today. In fact, let me just tell you how easy it is to come into a relationship with God and be rescued. Now, some, most of you probably have a relationship with Christ, and that's great. So I'm gonna share with you, you can use this as well to share with other people. But it's really as, as simple as ABC. ABC stands for admit, believe, and confess. And where you start is by admitting you need God's help that you need for him to rescue you. And that's where I was. I finally came to the place. I'm not self-sufficient. I needed God. You need to admit that you need him, that that you cannot save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. You need him to rescue you. Nothing in your life will change. Nothing in your life will be different unless you come to the place and realize that you can't control the things you can't control. You are not self-sufficient. You need supernatural help. You need to admit that you need him. And then you need to admit the truth about who you are. Because we want to pretend, especially here in America, we want to pretend that we're just good people who occasionally do bad things. You know better. I know better. We are corrupt people who occasionally do good things. From, the, from birth, no one had to teach our kids how to be mean. No one had to teach the two-year-old how to bite some other kid in the face because they took a toy, right? You put a, 30-year, a two-year-old attitude in a 30-year-old body, you have a homicidal maniac. We are born that way, right? And so we need to just admit, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and I can't fix it. And then you move from admitting to believing. Once you admit that you're a sinner, you need to, you, 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 what we need to do is, is you need to believe the truth of the gospel. That's, that's, that's what it takes. I heard the gospel many times, but never really believed it. You need to believe the truth that Jesus came to the earth. That he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died on the cross for your sins. And that he gives you, when you put your trust in him, his righteousness. And you need to believe that, that he died to save us. And three days later, he rose from the dead, proving, proving in history, the most attested to historical event with the most evidence ever in all antiquity, that he rose. From the dead, proving that he is what he claimed to be God in the flesh, and that he can do what he promised to do, which is to save you from your sins. We believe that. We trust that. We depend on that. And once we believe that, then we need to confess. We confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? We confess that to God. We confess that to other people. Paul says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved you confess that Jesus is just not some person who came to be your buddy. He's not just some person in history who came to teach you how to live a better life. He is the Lord of your life, which means you're willing to follow him wherever he may lead you. And if you will do that, you will be saved. So if you admit, believe, and confess, you too can be rescued. Jesus can rescue you from your loneliness and from your worry and your struggles and every single sin and all of your weakness he can also rescue you if you will just admit believe and confess so here's the the invitation if you haven't trusted Christ as your savior if you've not taken this step i want to invite you to do that and i'm going to and i'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute to do that But if you have, understand what the gift that we've been given and let us go share this hope with other people. Let us go out into the world and tell people because there are people who are battling deep, dark loneliness right now and worry and struggle and sin and weakness. In fact, let's all bow our heads together. And I'm gonna pray and then if you... If this reflects your heart, then right where you're at, just just say, Me too. Heavenly Father, I desperately need you. I overwhelmingly desperately need you. I'm also a wretched, broken sinner. Lord, you and I both know what I'm capable of. You know about what I've done in my own life. You know what I can do at a moment's notice. You know where my thoughts want to go. I know that I can't fix it. (laughs) I know that my best efforts are but just filthy rags before you. And so I need you. I admit it. I need you to rescue me and I need you to save me from myself. I admit my need for you, Lord. And I believe it, Lord. I believe every word of it. From the first word to the last word, from Genesis to Revelation, I believe every bit of it, Lord God. I believe that that Jesus came to the earth. That he lived a perfect life. And that he was a picture of love, but he was also a picture of truth. That he would reach out to the, the lowliest, but he would also rebuke the person who thought that they were righteous. I believe that he taught Many people will follow him. I believe, Lord God, that that he did those miracles, that he walked on water, that he turned the water to wine. I believe all that stuff. And I believe with all my heart that he willingly went to the cross and he suffered. And he was nailed to the cross with nine-inch nails and he, he hung there suffocating to death. And then he cried out, lord god to you saying my god my god why have you forsaken me as he experienced a brokenness that i will never experience i believe that he died there on that cross and i believe three days later that you rose him again physically literally fully god fully man and that he ascended into your into heaven he's at your right hand and he promised that he would come back for me and that he would give me the strength to carry on in this life i believe it lord god And I confess it, that he's the Lord and I will follow him wherever he leads me. I will take up my cross daily to be his disciple. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. I pray, Father, you give me the strength to go out and carry on this truth to the rest of the world. I love you with all my heart. In Christ's name I pray. listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.